listening to Sunday Sermons from Warren Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org. Please be seated. Turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 4. If I were to ask you what, were, what is Romans chapter 1 and chapter, through chapter 4 all about, you could sum it up with one, well, actually two words. Abraham, in parentheses, the Jews, religion, and the Gentiles. And what the Apostle Paul has done throughout the first four chapter is, chapters is that he has laid a foundation saying, it doesn't matter whether you are a biological Jew or whether you are a Gentile, that none, no, no one is saved by their own righteousness or by their own rituals or by their own rules. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeketh after God. The Bible says the, that Every one of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so you could summarize chapters 1 through 4 with the idea is religion can't save you. Non-religion can't save you. But we're all under the condemnation of our sin. And only can we be justified by God's grace through faith. That's the only way that we can be saved. In chapter 4 today as, as we look. We're going to be looking at this idea of justification by faith and by faith alone. There have been many people who have given their lives just for that statement itself. Let's read beginning in Romans 4 verses, verses 1 through 12. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something of which to boast, but not before God. In other words, if, if Abraham was saved because of his good works, then he could boast, but he couldn't boast before God. Verse 3 says, because this is what God says. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it wasn't Abraham's belief. It was who Abraham had placed his belief in. For what does the scripture say? Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. In other words, if you could work, uh, you work a job, you get wages, you're paid for it. If Abraham could work for his salvation, then uh, he could claim that he had it and he worked for it. And therefore it couldn't be by God. It would be by his ability to earn it. But to him who does not work. But believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Does the blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? We're going to learn today that God accounted his belief for righteousness before he was ever circumcised. 
So he was justified in the eyes of God before he was ever circumcised. So circumcision did not save him and did not justify him. It was only a sign or symbol. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteous of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. And I want to tell you, Paul just drove the nail in the coffin, the final nail in the coffin of the idea of the Jews of that day, and maybe even some today who believe that you can be saved by some types of works. Now, the Apostle Paul has, has carefully built what I call a biblical condemnation First on the Gentiles, Romans chapter 1, there's no, no, no one who will be able to have an excuse. The need of the gospel for all Gentiles and Jews. The availability of the gospel for all, both Gentile and Jews. And the complete and absolute and total sufficiency of Christ for salvation. It is only through him that we can be saved. So justification by faith alone. Someone has said that, and I would ask you today, what is the national anthem of the Christian faith? Somebody tell me the hymn. What is it? The national anthem of the Christian faith. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. But you know what? Most people who would agree that Amazing Grace is one of the greatest hymns ever written of the Christian faith, most people do not subscribe to the message that it conveys. We live in what we know and call a do-it-yourself generation, not much different than the Jews of Paul's day. In fact, and if you remember back in Romans chapter 3, Paul says in chapter 3, verse 21, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. How is it revealed? Apart from the law, not through the law. Then in 3 and verse 28, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Now what Paul is going to do here in this passage in verses 1 through 12, he's going to use two of the greatest biblical characters there is, that there are. He's going to use Abraham and he's going to use David. Both of them were individuals that, that the Jews loved because Abraham is considered the father um, of the Jewish nation. The promise, the covenant that came through him, that God gave him, that he would bless his posterity and he would... Uh, Bring through him a seed that would be for all nations and all generations. And then David, the king, who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. The Jews looked to him because it was a promise as well 
through David, the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. Through the Davidic covenant, the Bible is said that God made a covenant with David that there would always be a king on the throne in the line of David. So both of these individuals, let's look. There are two illustrations of justification by faith alone. In verses four, I mean, in chapter four, verses one through eight, we see the justification of the Jews' most famous patriarch. Look at the reputation of Father Abraham, verse one. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? Charles Hodge says it this way about this verse. The case of Abraham was the center and stronghold of the whole Jewish position. In other words, Abraham's grave that you see there in Hebron is to this day considered a holy place by the Jews because he was considered their father. Abraham was believed to have, and this is what the Jews teach, that Abraham, that they believe that Abraham was able to perfectly keep the commandments of God before they were ever even recorded. In fact, rabbis speak of God's ordaining the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, before the foundation of the world for Abraham's sake. Along with his son Isaac and grandson Jacob, Abraham was regarded by the Jews as one who had not sinned against God. In fact, on three occasions in Scripture, the first one is found in Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles, as um, our youngest daughter, when she was memorizing the books of the Bible, she was about six or seven, she called it Second Chronicles. And I, that's what I wanted to say when I said Chronicles. Second Chronicles 20 and verse 7, Isaiah 41 and verse 8, and James chapter 2 and verse 23. Three times in Scripture, on three different occasions, Abraham is referred to be uh, as God's friend. I am a friend of God. I mean, no wonder, think about this, no wonder the Jews uh, were proud to be known as the children of Abraham. Biologically, and so on. But look at the righteousness then of Father Abraham, verse 2 and 3. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. You see, the Jewish pride concerning Abraham had a couple of things. It stemmed from his works. And so Paul, what Paul does here in Romans is he focuses uh, on Abraham's works and this whole idea of being saved by works. Because according to verse 2, these works were something to boast about. Now, who was Abraham? What did he do? If you study his life, you will see he was a great leader and a great servant. But here's what Paul argues. If Abraham was justified by his works, then he was a self-made man and certainly had the right to boast of his achievements. That's what the verse says. And as we said earlier, many of the Jewish rabbis taught that Abraham did indeed have the right to boast because of this passage and a passage in Genesis chapter 26, verses 4 and 5. Notice what the book of Genesis says here in chapter 26. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give your descendants all these lands 
And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And particularly that latter part of that verse, which is verse 5, where it says that Abraham obeyed my voice. The Jews take that, and in their great holy book called uh, the, the Mishnah, and what the Mishnah is, it is a book of all of the rabbinical teachings. And in the Mishnah, this verse is used in Genesis chapter 26 and verse 5. This is what they say about this verse. Listen to it carefully. And when we find that Abraham our father had performed the whole law before it was given, for it is written, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And, and what the rabbis are teaching here is, is that Abraham was absolutely a law keeper. He kept the law perfectly because they take this verse out of context, and that's, but that's exactly what they believed. And because they were children of Abraham, biological children of Abraham, then they're okay too. Abraham covered us all. In other words, Abraham had earned the favor of God by his works or his obedience. But the Apostle Paul takes a totally different view of this. And I believe which is a true biblical view. In fact, Paul counters this common belief about Father Abraham by citing another passage. And it's verse 6 of Genesis chapter 15. And he says, and Abraham believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Who was the one that did it? It was God, not Abraham. Paul's view of Abraham's righteousness is completely different from the traditional view of the Jews. In fact, Paul says that he was justified because he believed in the one who could justify. So the context of this verse uh, in Genesis is the incident where we see that God takes Abraham out under the night sky and gives him what we know as the Abrahamic covenant or the promise that from him and from his offspring, oh, they would be as numerous as the stars in the heaven and as the sand on the sea. And at this time, Abraham was very old and had no children and his wife, Sarah, was well beyond the age of childbearing. And the Bible says that Abraham believed God. Not that Abraham was going to be able to do anything, but he believed that God could do it. Genesis 15, 6, uh, I believe, is the first reference in the Bible to faith, righteousness, and justification. It's here where we see God move with his grace. This righteousness that we see here was not received by Abraham as a reward for his obedience or his works. But the Bible says that faith itself was credited to Abraham as righteousness. That means faith itself is not righteousness. It is faith in who can give us the righteousness. And so we see the third thing is the response of Abraham. Abraham did the only thing a person can do without doing anything. He believed. Now the, the word credited here, um, or accounted, or imputed, is the same word um, it's used that we see here is used for God's righteousness. 
It, it's the Greek word logizomai. What does it mean? It means to reckon or impute. Again, I believe Paul was a Southern Baptist. I reckon he was. Boy, that went right by, didn't it? Logizomai, it means to reckon or impute. It's found 41 times in the New Testament, but Paul uses it 35 of those 41 times. In fact, it is used a total of 11 times here in chapter 4. So why is that so significant? Verse 3 says, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Verses 3 through 5, accounted his faith accounted for righteousness. Verse 6, imputed righteousness apart from works. Verse 9, faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. And verse 10, how then was it accounted? Verse 11, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. Now, a fellow by the name of William Newell says this about this idea. It is always a court word. In other words, it's something, it's a word that's used in, in, uh, in a court system, in a legal system. He says it is God who is acting as judge and accounting or holding as righteous those who, as Abraham, believe in him. Or to the contrary, as implied in verse 8, he says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not reckon sin. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not impute sin. Implying that there are those to whom he would reckon sin and guilt to. But there are those who believe and their sin is not reckoned or imputed to them. It is imputed righteousness to them by what Christ has done. The question then here is simply this. Just exactly what did Abraham believe? And to whom did he believe? Remember that old hymn, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I, which what? Which I have given unto him, to him until that day. What day? We know for certain that he believed what God had told him concerning a son. Romans chapter 4 verses 18 through 21. Paul rehearses that with Abraham. He tells us about there. Then in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, we see that he says the same thing. So he believed that God was going to give him a son. Now, in looking at it logically, Abraham should not have been able to father a son. Sarah should not have been able to be a mom. But God had promised them. And so if it had been upon Abraham's ability, Abraham then could boast to God and say, look at me, God. But it had to be something so miraculous and so powerful that no one could give credit to, to anyone except for God. And Abraham believed that God would be able to do it, just as he believes later that he would be able to raise Isaac from the dead when he carried him up to Mount Moriah to offer him as a sacrifice. He believed that he, he would return with his son, that God would somehow be able to raise him. Abraham believed God was the one who was able to do it. But that's not all that Abraham believed. 
Galatians 3 and verse 8 says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. As Paul says here in, in the book of Galatians, he said that God preached the gospel to Abraham, and Abraham believed God's message of salvation. What did Abraham believe here? Paul said the gospel was that all nations, remember the Abrahamic covenant, that all nations would be blessed through Abraham. Why? Well, this is a quotation from Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. It's repeated in Genesis 18 and verse 18. It's repeated again in Genesis 22 and verse 18. And it occurred at every, every time and in the beginning of Abraham's journeys. So what does this mean that Abraham believed? He believed not only would he have a son and that his posterity would be a blessing to the whole world, because through that son and through that line would come a savior. The second thing that he believed is that there would be a redeemer who would come through his seed and who would bring salvation to all nations. That was the gospel he believed. So how was Abraham saved? Abraham was saved believing the gospel. Just like you and I are saved by believing the gospel. Look in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Notice what it says. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Amen. Having become a curse for us, bless his holy name. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, right out of Psalms 22. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That's the promise. This promise becomes even, I think, even more specific when we look at it again in the book of Galatians. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16, notice what it says. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. That's where it started, remember? Now notice he does not say seeds. What does he say? Seed. So he's not talking about Abraham's posterity and what Abraham would pass on. He is talking about there would come one seed, one individual who would come and would be a blessing to the whole world because he would bring righteousness and justification and salvation to a lost and dying world. And that seed was Jesus. On three separate occasions in the book of Genesis... God gave the promise of blessing through a single descendant of Abraham. Genesis 12, verse 7. Genesis 13 and verse 15. Genesis 24 and verse 7. Three times he gives the promise of blessing through a single descendant of Abraham. Many people will read over that verse in Galatians 3 and verse 16. And it says, now to Abraham and his seed, and they'll think that that's Abraham's posterity. No, it's not. It's talking about one that would come from him, the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself. So Paul is here teaching in Romans that Abraham somehow picked up on the idea that, that his promise or this promise that God made him was not just a general promise or blessing, but that it was a specific 
promised a blessing of one that would come, a specific descendant whose name was Jesus. In fact, Jesus confirms this in John chapter 8, verse 56. Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to what? To see my day. And he saw it and was glad. So even Jesus here confirms the fact of what Paul is teaching here, that the seed that would come would be Jesus himself. Even Abraham saw my day. And then we see the justification of the Jews' most famous patriarch, but we also see the justification of the Jews' most famous monarch. Who was that? David. In verses 4 through 8, we see he talks about David. He says, David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. He says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Thank God. And whose sins are covered. Amen. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. You and I, if we will trust and believe in Jesus Christ, our sin is not imputed to us. It is covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, here is a kind of an introduction to the mention of, of David. Paul goes back again to Genesis 15 and verse 6. Because the Jews had their own interpretation here as well. In fact, it was a very important passage to, to the Jews. They thought and taught, now listen to this, what they taught about David. That Abraham believed, that is, he was faithful, and God credited his faithfulness uh, to him as righteousness. In other words, this passage was a proof text for righteousness by works. But Paul knew better. And he spent four chapters telling them that that's not the case. And here he is driving that final nail in the coffin. Because in verses 4 through 8, he starts here with this idea. Now to him who works, the wages are not accounted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Here's what Paul is saying. Simple as this. If you work for pay and you get paid, that's not grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. How are we saved? By grace. Through faith. If we could work for it, we could not be saved. According to the scripture. It's an earned reward. But if one is justified without working, then a gift of grace has been given. And then that's where the scripture says in Ephesians 2 and verse 10 that we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. In other words, we cannot be saved by works, but because we are saved, we are going to be working. Paul inferred that he was ungodly. In fact, Paul uses the word ungodly in reference to Abraham. And I want to tell you, that stuck in the crawl of the Jews of that day, to call Abraham ungodly. He references to Abraham's uh, justification. In fact, 
He drove a sword into the heart of every Jew who heard what he said here in this passage. Because they believed that Abraham was a sinless man who had kept the law of God. And because of his obedience and keeping his commandments, that he had been justified apart from anything else. But Paul inferred that he was ungodly and that he needed to be justified. And the only way he could be justified was by believing in the one who could justify him. Romans 5 verse 6 says, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died. For who? The ungodly. In fact, in Luke 5 verse 32, this is what Jesus said, I have come to call the righteous, not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So who, who is the only ones who can be saved? The ungodly. Who are ungodly? Everybody. And even though you may claim good works, you may claim that you're a good person compared to others, you will never be good enough because if you could be good enough to go to heaven, not only was Jesus' death on the cross a horrible, terrible waste of time, but it was as well the most ridiculous thing that God could have ever done. It wasn't to the, re- um, to the regenerate or those who declared righteous, it was to the ungodly. You see, as I, you've heard me say before, the, the Christianity is totally different than any other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world says, this is what you must do to get to God. Christianity says... In other words, you've got to keep getting better and better and better and moving up and moving up and moving up. Christianity says you can't get to God. That you're lost and undone, that you're a sinner. God cannot look upon you. He is holy, you are unholy. You are unrighteous. He is righteous. And God reaches down to us and pulls us out of the miry pit of sin and and condemnation. And he becomes the just And the justifier. You see, Paul had cited Abraham as his first witness. And now he appeals to David. But David, as great as he was, we know, broke at least three of the commandments. He had coveted Bathsheba. He had committed adultery. And he murdered Uriah. And the Old Testament sacrificial system made no provision for premeditated sin. So how could David be called the friend of God as Abraham was? How could David, how could it be said of David that he was a man after God's own heart? There was nothing he could do but to cry out for God's mercy. And in Psalm 51, we see him do that. And then there are three insights into justification that we need to understand. First of all, justification by faith is not ceremonial. In other words, there is no ceremony, circumcision, baptism, whatever you want to call it, whatever sign you want to do, whatever, whatever symbol you want to use, whatever idea of a covenant you want to make with God, nothing will stand except faith in Jesus Christ. The Jews had such radical pride 
and so do the Gentiles. According to the timeline of the Old Testament, Abraham was justified by faith long before he was ever circumcised. And here's the key. It wasn't circumcision and the sign of the covenant and his, and his relationship with God that, that saved him there. The sign of the covenant didn't do it. He was justified before he was ever circumcised. Genesis 15 verses 4 and 6 records the, the promise that Abra, uh, to Abraham that he would have a son. And he says that he believed God and God accounted it to him for righteousness long before he was circumcised. Genesis 16, 16 records that Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar born Ishmael. In fact, that was Abraham's and Sarah's sinful attempt to try to help God fulfill his promise. And in Genesis chapter 17, it indicates that Ishmael was 13 years old when his 99-year-old father, Abraham, was circumcised. You talk about an experience that had to have been one. When was he circumcised? At 99 years old. When had he been justified? Almost 40 years before. So justification is not by ceremony. Justification by faith is not dispensational. Now, what do I mean by that? We see here in, the, in, in verses 11 and 12 that it talks about, it says, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had while still uncircumcised. In other words, the Bible says he was made right with God before circumcision ever came. That he might be the father of all those who believe, those, though they are uncircumcised. That righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision, but also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. In other words, since circumcisions follow justification, it's a sign of righteousness not the cause of it. All circumcision is, is a, is a sign of what has already taken place, such as our baptism. Our baptism does not save us. It could not save us. There's nothing magical or mystical about that water. It is, if you're not saved before you go into that water, you will come out of that water unsaved and wet, and that's all you'll have. They are both signs of what has taken place. The Jews regarded circumcision as something that had been achieved. And you talk to many Christians today and you say, have you been saved? And here's what many of them will respond. Well, I was baptized. That's not what I asked you. And the Jews regarded circumcision as something that had been achieved like, like circumcision could save them or baptism can save us. Paul regarded it as Simply as this, that it had been received, not achieved. And the Jews emphasized the doer of the act, but Paul emphasized the giver of the sign. And that's the difference. Here it is. Circumcision is simply this. It is a sign or a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith that God justified him. And the proof of his righteousness 
which he already had. In other words, it was a sign to identify him as a seal to authenticate him as a justified man. And then finally, justification by faith is not racial. Thank God for that. Galatians 3 says, therefore, now know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. You ever sung that song? Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. So what does it mean to be a son of Abraham? You're a son of Abraham today, why? Because you were saved the same way that Abraham was saved. You were saved being justified by faith in the one who could, own, could be the only one who could save us. It wasn't by ritual or ceremony or by race. You're not saved because you're an American. You're not saved because you're a white Caucasian or an African-American or an Asian-American or whatever title you want to put on yourself. You are, here's the title you need to know about yourself. You are a sinner. And the only way that you can be saved is by faith in Jesus Christ. It's got nothing to do with race. It has everything to do with righteousness that's imputed to us by Jesus Christ. When God looks at us, I think he sees all types of people. He sees likes variety. I mean, if we were all the same, one of us wouldn't be necessary. I like variety. I like the difference between me and my wife. I enjoy that. That's really pleasurable. I like that. I like the difference between me and others because I can learn from them and they as well from, from me. Christ's righteousness becomes ours only when we trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior and what he has done. But when we do, then God welcomes us into his favor and adopts us into his family. Because of Christ and Christ alone, you and I can now enjoy God's fellowship. So how are we saved? By works of righteousness? Yes, but not our works of righteousness. The works of Jesus Christ. So don't get tripped up on that idea. Somebody says, you know, are you saved? Yes. How are you saved? By works of righteousness. But explain what you mean. By the works of Jesus Christ, not my own. Because my works of righteousness are as filthy rags. And nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So rest in what Christ has done, but work so that others may know him as well. We'll work till Jesus comes. And then we'll be gathered home. Lord, thank you for our time together today. For your love for us. 
For the story of Abraham, as we've covered over the past many weeks, and Lord, how that the message of the gospel is, is not just to a particular um, ethnic group, but it's to all who will believe. And so today we love you, we praise you, we thank you that, the Lord, there's no standards um, by which, Lord, we can earn your righteousness. It's only by your standard of what you did, your person and your work, who you are and what you did to achieve our justification and offering it to us if we will believe, as Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for rights. First time the gospel was preached. And so, Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts today. For those that are watching at home, if Lord, if they've never understood before, their need for you, I pray that today they understand that they're bankrupt without you. But right now, they can call upon you in faith. Believe that you will do what you say you will do and that you have done what you uh, said you would do. And that is, Lord, that you paid the price for our sin. And if any who will believe in you and trust you and place their faith in you, that you will give them the gift of eternal life. That's my prayer for all who hear, if they've never trusted you. So Lord, we commit this to you and ask you now, it's your invitation to speak to our hearts and may we walk in obedience. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you want to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org.